and welcome to episode 298 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett and Jack Harper. No Alex Jones today, but we do have a returning Cameron Major, who, if all goes to plan, will be on the podcast in back-to-back weeks. So, a real return to form. Plenty to get into this week. We have football. Obviously, we have some huge... uh, Differences in fortune in both boxing and the UFC when it comes to British fighters, but we'll get into that as well. So, if we kick straight off, Jack, as I did get a message from you yesterday saying you're off tomorrow uh, on your travels. But Chelsea were nice enough to give you something to talk about before you go on your merry way. When I was speaking to uh, TK yesterday and planning out the podcast... TK referenced uh, a difference between you and a certain uh, Conor Harmer that came on here. In when Man United lose, he's nowhere to be seen. This Chelsea loss actually was so bad for you that you had to make an appearance, and so it was a polar opposite. <laughs> a routine win, and you'd have disrupted <laughs> as it was. You had to. Genuinely, I mean, I think the dust settle, and you try not to be too reactionary in cases like this we've had such a weird start to the season um i just we felt like a result like this was always on its way we always seem to be just one drop of the head away from this and that's that's exactly what we got i mean fair play to you because i'm trying not to be too reactionary to uh, the start of the league but <laughs> you've got to make the most of these things as they happen so <laughs> yeah Football turned into soccer yesterday. Jesse Marsh and Brendan Aronson. The opening goal in this game, Jack. Unbelievable. Leeds have now picked up seven points from their opening three games. And Edward Mendy, the first question I have for you. On a scale of De Gea to Edison, De Gea being one, Edison being ten, where are we putting Mendy in terms of ball playing ability? I mean, I'd probably put like a strong two. Um, he's, I mean, there's been a compilation going around on Twitter of times where he's genuinely cost us games. Um, and I put Real Madrid, Madrid springs to mind. Uh, West Ham, um, <laughs> one in the Super Cup final where he tipped onto the post. Luckily, one against Porto, one against Atletico Madrid in the first one against Suarez, which could have seen him sent off. But it was just, it's, it's. I've tweeted and I've said many a time that Mendy with a ball at his feet is absolute nightmare fuel because you just never know what's going to happen. Um, I tweeted out when we signed him as well that Mendy looks like a £20 million keeper. It's just we were starved for so long and so now to catch a ball that we just kind of saw him as the second coming almost. And um, he's just dipped so bad in form into the point where he's costing us actual games where we win that Real Madrid tie if he doesn't make that mistake, we win that game. Well, we, there's no reason we wouldn't win that game, but the first 20 minutes of that game, yes, they were very even. We had chances, a couple of goals rolled yeah. out. Um, and then it's an absolute momentum killer when a keeper goes and does that. Yes. And then for, within four minutes, you're two down and it's game over, pretty much. Is the issue for you not that you've also seen what a 70 million keeper looks like? <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, but that is... <laughs> the, the, the weird thing is, how bad this has got recently we've got Chelsea Twitter now calling for Kepa to be reinstated <laughs> I just don't I don't know where we are at the moment with goalkeeping because to be that bad to make us forget about Kepa I mean, uh, 
for those that didn't see it, and I don't know where you've been, if so, Mendy tries doing the thing, which I saw keep, keepers do probably once every two games in the league, usually. Allison loves giving Liverpool fans heart attacks, and Ramsdale has a bad habit of it too, but 99 times out of 100 you see this, they just shift it to the one side, the striker runs past, puts his hands on his head at how close he's been, and the crowd cheers. This time, Mendy just does not have... How slow was he whilst he was doing yeah. it? It was this awful first touch. That's, that was the main problem. He set himself up to the point where he's had to look down to see where the ball is. Um, <laughs> and then once he's done that with the press that Leeds had yesterday, it was just game over. And then why he doesn't just put it out, I don't know. But you give that goal away. Leeds absolutely hate us. And Ellen Rhodes is obviously like such an atmospheric stadium where if you give them an inch, they take a mile. And when you've got the crowd on your back and you're 1-0 down, it just, it's just a mountain to climb, especially when we've got no one that can play football up front. Who told him, though, that, that he can do this? Because <laughs> De Gea, to, I don't want to credit the guy, but he essentially, for the last two, three years, has told whatever coaches at United, I can't play football that way, so I'm not even going to try it. The, the five-a-side team we used to play in, I remember Brad saying, peel off the back of the defender, stand on the last man, and <laughs> I knew this isn't going to work. <laughs> I'm not have the turn of foot here, and I'm not going to beat the man. And so there was no point trying. And this feels like Edison felt that he could stand on the quick guy at the back and peel off in my shoes. And the, I don't want to say the the result was the same on a Monday night at Plot Court as it was at Ellen Road, but both would have looked equally disastrous. Yeah, it, and and that's the problem when you don't have goals in the team, the first goal for us is so crucial because we need teams to come out and attack us to lose space because because we're so toothless. As soon as we concede one, then the chances, we're, the chances of us scoring go down because they go into the low block and hit us on the counter where we're vulnerable. So I d- when you see teams like City, Liverpool, um, and even Spurs, like you know they've got goals in the team, they can always be a threat so they're never out of it. Whereas we don't get the first goal, I always feel that that's it. <laughs> what a waste. There's enough players in this Leeds team that you look at when you see them on, on the team sheet. And it's almost like, don't let them score against me. Dan James shouldn't be having a good game against you. <laughs> I feel like that with the whole Leeds team. which is yeah, Jack, I, mean, I feel like that with Jack Harrison, but he <clears throat> does have a habit of seemingly uh, keep putting the points up. But if you had to pin this on one area, is it more the attack to blame? Is it more Mendy to blame? Or is um, it the midfield? I, I genuinely think it was just a poor display all round. Um, the heads went completely after the second goal. Within four minutes, we're 2-0 down. I mean... If you could only like, blame one of them, though, for, for, the sake, for the sake of argument, you, I, you can go I, in the I, dressing room and you can shout at one of three, the attack, the midfield, or the defence, slash goalkeeper, which one are you taking your frustrations out on? It probably have to be Mendy just because of the momentum shift after that mistake was just so start to see. It was that was the moment that it turned. Um, but the, our attack's been a problem for the whole well, for the last two seasons, really. So I, I'm, I'll just shout at everyone. I'll just go in there, scatter gun, shoot and fire from the hip. I think anyone can get it. 
Anthony Taylor was the fourth option, but didn't yeah. want to give you that easy out. No, I'd be dragging him in. Fine. Where was he in all of this? Yeah, exactly. It's obviously he, had a, he had a word with the VAR, clearly. Reese uh, James uh, wasn't having it. I don't know if you've seen the video. <laughs> yeah, I have, yeah. Body checking that ref. Yeah. <laughs> He's bad enough for the rest in this league. Uh, but we do need to talk about that free kick, which wasn't a free kick. I mean, that is... So do we? Uh, I've got so, 11 bullet points for the game here. That free kick wasn't on the list. Yeah, I suppose we don't need to talk about it because it wasn't. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I feel, I feel like, like I, I, on I, a I, list of issues, that probably isn't. No. After after the game, I kind of had a Lampard moment. It was like, <laughs> mistake, fluke goal, set piece goal, <laughs> another fluke goal. I just sat there, just in my own, steering in my own misery. Don't worry, Cam. We'll be speaking about Lampard in a little bit. I think he's on mute. Um, I am now off mute. Yeah, welcome <laughs> to the conversation. Welcome it. Um, yeah, there's always been the accusation at Thomas Tuchel, whether the stats align with that or not, that this guy can't coach an attack. <laughs> is it the personnel here, or is there something to that? I, t- I, I don't know. I mean, I look at it, and you look at Tuchel getting lauded last week against Spurs for his defending in a five, attacking in a four, making our attack look pretty good, and then it's the attackers that let us down by not finishing chances. The chances, but then you look at games like on Sunday, like yesterday, where we do not create a single chance, really, after the, in the second half, at least. Um, I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think something's got to give a little bit. I think our attackers, we have a system where he heavily relies on the front three to create magic on their own uh, and do something um, or getting the first goal and countering. There isn't a lot there for when teams, the only time I've ever seen a team sit in against us and us break them down is when we won in the Bernabeu 3-2 and we're 3-0 up. I'm never to be fair. Hey, and that. Um, Sterling's had the ball in the back of the net a couple of times it just happens to have been marginally offside every time that has happened I wondered how you felt about the first three games of his Chelsea career uh, he's he's turning out to be exactly what I said he was which was a striker that needs a lot of chances to score goals and he won't get the the same amount of chances, chances in his Chelsea team and he's just another winger that is wasteful sometimes and I mean Against Spurs, the one that was five yards out, that, that was pretty poor. Expecting <laughs> bury it. Um, but I don't think we've played well as in second year. What we've done in pre-season, I have no idea because we look so unfit. I'll tell so you what you did in pre-season. You, you sent out a £100 million striker on loan. And if the press were as consistent as they are with uh, Ten Hagen asking about Ronaldo, Arteta still being asked about Aubameyang, I think Tuchel should be asked about Lukaku every single press conference until you have a striker that's scoring goals because he let Tammy Abraham go out. I don't know if pride is the reason you're not activating the buyback or he's basically put two fingers up and said, I'll be going elsewhere, thank you very much. But Kai Havertz up top is clearly not the answer. No, I mean, I, I'd be starting Brozier. I don't understand why that's yeah. not been the first port of call. I mean, if you look at them just stood next to each other, Havertz and Brozier, he is much I don't know what's the word meteor I guess he just looks <laughs> he looks like he fills that shirt more than Habits does whereas Habits can get lost whilst playing as a nine and we don't have the false nine in this system it is a it is a true nine where he's not dropping back and feeding the wingers 
he's being used as a target man um, and he's never in the box where he needs to be. He can't, and then when he is in the box, I don't trust his finishing. So we were speaking a year ago though about him being a proper nine. He had the size, uh, the ball was being crossed in. He was looking good in the air, and I don't know what's changed in that because it, it's borderline cruel at this stage to be keeping him out there because the guy looks like you could give him chance after chance after chance, and not even he believes he's going to put it in the back of the net. Yeah, I mean the quality is obviously there. That goal in Newcastle. I mean to have that in your locker is decent. I mean, that's once a season we're seeing that at the moment. It's not. It's, we, we are just in the same position that we have been in for the last three years, which is we lack a goal scorer. And that is well, Seemingly, Aubameyang is going to come in and save the day. And I may ask you more on that next week when the deal has just, or hasn't happened. Just out of interest, how hurt would you be on a scale of, I don't know, Nazari to Sask? Uh, it's, it's not on that level. Because right. those guys, we were letting go in their prime. And I've told you, Fabregas, favourite ever Arsenal player. Aubameyang, it's not going to be pleasant. Uh, I've no doubt he is going to score some goals. Uh, but it does feel is like that... Chelsea not addressing the problem. And I can... Uh, it's If you were single and your ex is now with someone else, you might be a bit more offended than if you have this absolute diamond, Gabriel Jesus, that you can walk around with on your arm. <laughs> and you don't feel as bad after that, because I'll tell you something for free. You offer me Erling Haaland tomorrow for Jesus. I say, no, thank you. Oh, my God. Nice. That's a lie. Nice. It's not, Cam. If you get Pep on here now, if you get Pep on here now, and he asks me, <laughs> I'd say no. And I may regret that at some point. <laughs> but I don't I don't think Haaland can do that little that little swish and dribble against Bournemouth that Jesus can do. So I don't think Jesus can score that goal um that Haaland did against Newcastle. He wouldn't have been in the same position. No, don't bring, but don't bring logic probably... to a Byron argument, Cam. <laughs> It's easy doing see, it against think, Bournemouth, though, so we'll have to see. As opposed to doing it against, what, West Ham and Newcastle? And what? West Ham, were you... Were you... Were you uh, sorry, West Ham. Well, West Ham are bottom of the, the damn league. league. They were finest <laughs> in the Europa League last season. I think West Ham are... I mean, they're lucky they've not made their way into our next segment, to be honest. Um... <laughs> But this isn't a Haaland Jesus comparison. I, I, I think we saw what can go wrong when we did like Messi Ronaldo debates before, and that feels like a similar comparison. So we'll maybe save that for another day. <laughs> Just got to appreciate them both naturally. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, one's a bit easier on the eye, I'd say. Aubameyang, though, yeah, it's it's not going to be pleasant, but I think it'll be similar to how things are at Barcelona, where he'll start nicely in. To be honest, the chances that Havertz is missing are pretty much the worst thing for Aubameyang because the easier the chance, the more he struggles to put it at the back of the net. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking... We need a player that can create something for himself a little bit. Um, Which know. he can, to be fair. Yeah, and that's that's what we're lacking. We're lacking that that player that we've missed since Hazard's gone where we can just rely on them to pull something out of the back in a clutch moment that can kind of shape a season really five points from three games three goals three goals scored five conceded you played two teams that barely scraped past relegation last season but 
if there's reason to be happy, you do have Leicester next. So could be light work. But always a bit of a bogey team for us. Well, if they're a bogey team now, then you've got bigger issues than, uh, <laughs> yeah. we're, than we're aware of. But we'll have to end that there because we have plenty more to get into and uh, we do need to be finished before the potential comedy blockbuster that could be Liverpool United. So, cool. Jack, have a lovely time in Germany. Make sure you've got some Wi-Fi to be dialing in on deadline day, well, which, yeah. if all goes to plan, the busiest, biggest pod in spitballing history, not to put too much pressure on it. Um Hello, boys. Adios. So, so Cam, I didn't ask you specifically to be on here because I had this segment, but it does help. Leicester, Everton and Aston Villa, three teams that are seemingly in a slump currently. Leicester have one point from three games. They've conceded eight and scored five. Everton have one point from three games, conceded four and scored two. And Villa have three points from three games, conceded six and scored three. They're the three favourites with the bookies for the managers to lose their job next. And the question here is essentially who can get themselves out of this ditch first? I think the best place to start probably is with the managers. And I don't know if either of you two would disagree. I think if we did a straw poll and said, which of these three teams has the best manager? I've got to think Leicester are going to win that one fairly conclusively. Based on based on credentials, yes. Yeah, yeah. You, you haven't got you've got a few years of credentials in Lampard and Gerrard, you know. I'm not sure if either of those two need any more years of statistics the way they're going. But look, Brendan, and then okay, the question, but... yeah, the the question here on top of that though, is which manager is going to be here longest? Which of these clubs is going to be willing to get rid of the manager that soon? And from your perspective, Cam. I don't know how wedded you feel that Everton are to Lampard. Like there was a feeling not to constantly go back to Arsenal, but once Arteta got through that December period where we were in what the bottom half of the table and he survived, you kind of got the impression this guy's going to be here for the long haul. And I don't know if you get a sense with the signings you're making and the way the club are reacting to results, whether you feel that Everton have that similar uh, relationship with Lampard? I think you've got to look at this as a whole. Lampard came into the club in a shit situation. Um, club had made a horrendous error bringing in Benitez uh, <laughs> in a rele- relegation scrap um, at that point. And then, you know, we brought in Lampard. Things got worse before they got better for a period there. You know, most people for Everton were going to be relegated, but Lampard saw us through that. And through seeing us through that, I would argue that he brought the club. The club, the fans aren't happy with um, you know the hierarchy of the club. But Lampard kind of brought an era, almost of a brief era, of harmony and positivity through keeping us up. You know, you saw the pitch invasions, the <laughs> and whatnot. Um, and then this season, I think people want to see Lampard be given a chance. And part of that is because we've gone through so many managers yeah. um, already. It's a case of, okay, well, if we get rid of Lampard, who else would we bring in? Um, and would they do any better with the squad that we've got? Um, I would argue no, um, unless you're getting in a very, very, you know, Carlo Ancelotti-esque um, manager. So I feel like Lampard deserves a chance. I feel like the fans certainly want to give him a chance. Um, 
it's largely going to be down to the next few days of recruitment to see if he's going to be have a squad that will enable him to have a chance, essentially. Um, you've got to look at that recruitment and say, we don't have a striker. Uh, sold our best, arguably our best player in Richarlison. Um, DCL gets injured before the season starts. Still don't have a striker. Playing a makeshift striker in Gordon or we're playing Rondon. Rondon. <laughs> we're playing Rondon. And to, to his, you know, he is what he is. You know, you've yeah. got to manage your expectations when he's on the pitch. Do I think he's going to score anytime he's on the pitch? No. Um, <laughs> do we need, can Gordon play as a striker? No. Um, so you've got to manage your expectations there. But the club recruitment side of things, they've got to be doing a better job. They've got to get a striker in. It seems as though they've said, we're going to put all our eggs in one basket with Broger um, and think, you know, if Chelsea get Orba, are they then saying, wait for us to get Orba and then we'll, you know, mm. we can have Broger on loan. That's an option that I could see. Um, but a lot of it's going to be down to the recruitment. I liked the signing of Onana, you know, one of the best prospects in European football. Um <laughs> So, you know, it was a good direction of spending money on a player that's, you know, 20, 21, um, that in four or five years, if they lived up to that potential that, you know, Roberto Martinez is talking about, we could sell on for a bigger fee. Um, with with um, the sidings you have made, are they ones that feel like they've been pushed by Lampard or is it the club picking the players? I think... I think, well, we've got Kevin, it's Kevin Falwell. Um, Guy from Wolves, isn't it? Yeah, chap from Wolves, um, who I think, I think they're working together on that, to be honest with you. Um, I don't I don't think it's being, I think Lampard has, has, has a part to play in it. So if you saw when Onana signed, he was about to join West Ham. Lampard got in touch with him, gave him a call, and that was one of the bigger reasons why he signed. Probably also getting paid a little bit more who knows how much that used to <laughs> what you got to do in your position though exactly um but i think lampard is heavily involved in in the recruitment period um you know the signing of connor cody that's a good signing um he's a great signing in fact but tarkovsky. ultimately it tarkovsky tarkovsky i like the signing it's very phil jaggy esque we do have to remember he was sent back for a club that got relegated so that signing isn't going to be something that propels us into the top half of, you know, the league. But I like the experience factor of having, you know, um, Tarkovsky and Cody, very assured centre-backs that are just going to, they're not going to mess about with it at the back, are they? They're going to get rid of it. We'll, um, we'll, speak, we'll speak a bit more next week about kind of how happy you are with what you've done and don't do before next week. But do you, does it feel like a crisis Everton at the moment because we're about to speak about Leicester if you look at any Leicester fan online it's about as negative as you could possibly find and Villa aren't too far behind and I don't know with Everton perhaps the fact that you prepared yourself for this this season where the other two may not have but it doesn't seem to feel the same with Everton and I guess that's only going to help when you need the crowd to get behind the team I think I'm looking at and I'm if you if I look at Aston Villa club are spending money spending money in the areas that they need to um diego carlos what a signing that is they spent big money on ollie watkins etc danny ings so with villa i look at it and i think you know they've got a, a good enough team to be doing better um same with leicester in terms of the quality of players that they have um you know you look at james madison 
Jamie Vardy can still do a job in Inacho, um, Harvey Barnes, etc. With Everton, the crisis doesn't necessarily appear to be directed at the way that it's directed at the recruitment aspect. So it's a little bit different in that side of things. Um, well, after the game on Saturday, think, you said good result. Good result given we were 1 0 down. I feel like after the, the start to the season you've had, you've got to be looking at Forest and thinking. You've got to be looking at three points there. But I, what I'm. Well, I've also got to be realistic that we've got Rondon up front. Would Rondon Come on, I'm not having you Hang say you've got to be realistic against Forest. Would Rondon, would Rondon start for Nottingham Forest? Oh, no, it's a fair point, but... So, so what I'm saying is, with, with Villa and Leicester, I'm looking at the managers and thinking, you should be doing better with your starting eleven. They should be putting out better performances, getting better results. With Everton, I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at, you need to be better with the recruitment and bit of urgency going and getting a striker. So it doesn't feel like you're in a slump so much as, well, I guess it you should like be at this time. From a recruitment side of things, that's it's it's mind-boggling that they haven't gone and got a striker. When you look at what we're putting out on the pitch, and they and then there are decisions like um, we loaned out Ellis Sims to Sunderland. He's been banging them in for Sunderland. You know, I'm not saying he would do that at a Premier League level, but you, we're in a position where you can't really be whether it's championship striker or not, you can't be loaning them out to there if we don't have a striker. So that, that side of things, it's, it's mind-boggling, confusing. But Let's look, sorry, I, 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 from the side of it, as I, I feel like Villa and, and Leicester should be getting better results and playing better with the teams that they can put out. Well, let's look at Leicester first then. So, as I said, one point from three games, they look pretty awful against Arsenal. I don't know... The two goals flattered them, to be honest. And when you'd lose into uh, Southampton, that's not a good look because we were writing obituaries for them after the opening day of the season, TK, and saying we don't feel too good about their chances. And Leicester, it just feels like the cloud of negativity, everything about it, is being carried into the games. Brendan isn't filling them with much confidence in his press conferences. They've got issues with Fafana and Tielemans to a lesser extent. And it's been, I guess, for a lot of teams, you're going into this season excited by the recruitment you've done. Leicester's, I don't think you could have found a less enthused fan base. They haven't brought anyone in. They brought in one backup keeper. Right, yeah. So the, essentially, to all intents and purposes, they've had no signings. And they're not really being linked with anyone either, which is the more bizarre thing, even though you know, the manager's publicly coming out and saying he wants signings, and did at the end of last season. So it's not like he's fresh to it. He's been doing this the whole time. They haven't done anything. And by contrast, whatever happens with Everton and Villa, it looks like they will have a go at trying to sign someone before the deadline to try and reverse their fortunes. Leicester, it doesn't even seem like that. They seem like they'll be happy if they can keep hold of what they've got, which is kind of the worst thing because Fafana looks clearly like he doesn't want to be there. Tillemans and Madison will probably start thinking that pretty soon as well. And do you think the way they've handled it in the media is an issue? Because for one, when you come out quite actively in the summer and say, well, we can't buy until we sell, that's just every club then is just going to wait and wait and wait because they know they're going to get a knockdown price as you get more desperate. And it probably doesn't make you look too much of an attractive side to want to move to. 
if doesn't you sound back, ambitious, does it? No, if you go back and the last player I would point to probably when I signed uh, Sumare and he was linked to Arsenal, he was linked to United, we came on here and we were talking about them as an example of a perfectly well-ran club. Yep. And I remember using that exact phrase and saying they're brilliant the way this, as soon as they're going to have someone out the door, they've got the next guy lined up, the way they transition from their talents even just using the loan system, they're getting Vardy and they're managing his minutes correctly. Then you've got Ian Acho, Harvey Barnes, a perfect pickup. Everything around it. And it was almost like we blinked. And then we're looking at them as this horribly ran club that are just falling apart from the inside. It's almost like the club of... If you, if you didn't know, you'd say the owner has given up slightly or just yeah. become more disinterested because... We weren't wrong to point out how good their recruitment was. If you looked at each time, they would get a gem of a player. Sometimes they'd pick up someone who you knew was good and they'd done well. Or sometimes they'd pick out just a gem out of nowhere who turned out to be unbelievable. Um, a lot of those players are still there, but some of their performances are dipped. And then even towards the end of it, some of the recruitment has got worse. Samari, I don't think he's been anywhere near. He's been loaned out uh, now. Yeah, I don't think he was anywhere near the player people thought. I watched him some games before he can't make a pass. Um so, compound that as well, that Vardy is getting older. Signed a new Ian deal a yesterday. Ian Acho, you really don't know what you're going to get from him still. When he had that end of the season with them, with the FA Cup, you thought, right, this guy's arrived. He's going to yeah. kick on now. And he just never has. Um, so, they've got a few their, players in that spot. You look at their squads and it feels like, if we were picking it, like a 4-4-2 feels so blatant. You put Madison on the one wing, Barnes on the other, Vardy and Ian Acho up top. And just build everything else around that. You've got what Dewsbury Hall and Tielemans in the middle for Farner at the back. Everything looks like it just should be great. And I think when we did our preseason predictions, we both kind of intimated that we felt it was a matter of time for Brendan. The messages that he was putting out there didn't feel too positive. And it was going to be a case of uh, jumping before he's pushed. I don't know how they turn this around because you look at them on the pitch, they don't know that they even believe they can turn it around. When when you're playing Arsenal, a big thing in recent years, and we've not seen us go behind this year to know how different it's going to be, but you get that one goal back and you see the nerves go through the whole team. Yeah. They conceded within 100 seconds twice. That's not a team that's playing like they even believe that they can go and win. No, it's, it's hard to know whether that's the Arsenal have got better and they've improved and so they've responded immediately or whether it's just that Leicester can't. Um, it, it looks a, a lot like the end of Brendan's time with us, to be honest, where he just thought he's run out of ideas here. Um, and I think the team knows it. I think it looks like it to me. Uh, I'll be very surprised if he's there after the deadline. There was, there was rumours that he'd walked last night. Mm. And yeah. suddenly betting was suspended on that happening. A classic uh, WhatsApp leaked message, which that's quite, <laughs> that's quite a believable one, to be fair. <laughs> After, like, there's going to be tanks going down the street tomorrow and this and that. <laughs> but who would they... I mean, it's also got to think... Premier League is so competitive now. Um, it's the most competitive it's ever been. As you've just pointed out, that they've got the quality in terms of players um, to get results, but have the players just stopped playing for him? I don't know, but because people seem to just believe, oh well, we'll just they'll just go and get Poch. 
And I thought, why the hell is he going to go there? No. They're more likely to get... um, I've seen them getting linked with Ollie as the replacement. No, Sean... Sean, uh, Dodge. Yeah, I think he would... He's waiting for that Everton job. (laughs) Break the the glass and get Sam Allardyce in if they're in that much of (laughs) it. Panic stations. I think everyone's eyebrows were raised when they let Schmeichel go so easily. And it was almost like from the inside a guy who'd spoken about being happy to be a Leicester player for the rest of his life and all of this, to let him go from the outside without a fight, less than £1 million he went for. Really weird. And it wasn't Nisar trying to push their weight around a bit and make a play for it this season. You look there, in for Pepe now, and Ramsey, they've just signed Schmeichel and countless others. But this didn't feel like what an amazing opportunity. Even if it was one where He's being brought in, I don't know. Say United said, we need someone to challenge De Gea. You're not going to be guaranteed to be the number one choice, but and you may be on the bench for half a season, but this was his last opportunity to try and make it a big club. This isn't anything like that. This looks like, as I said, the, the writer was on the wall and, and he's got out now. Tielemans, my biggest... Uh, the links have gone quiet, so I don't think we are going to sign him. But I said last season, I was a bit... I don't like that he has quit on his team twice now from how this looks. If Brendan doesn't feel he's in a position where he can even play him from the start in a three o'clock game with no pressure, Fafana looks even worse for. And last season, when there was all the talk that he was going to be off this summer, he played like a guy who knew he was going to be elsewhere. I, I don't know. It doesn't look like they've got the characters to be building around to get things back on track. And uh, right from the top to the bottom, I think people are going to be looking around. It'd be interesting to see what happens if a bid comes in for Madison late on. Because if we assume Fofana is going to be gone by that point, Tielemans, if he doesn't go this summer, then he's just going to drive his contract down. And then we'll know whether they are just chucking the towel in or not. Yeah, it's true. I'm assuming Madison's got a decent bit of time on his contract, so they don't have to be bullied, I I don't know how they how they would stack up with um, FFP now. I think a lot of clubs are looking at that more. more there was seriously. the talk, and that's um, why they haven't bought anyone. So that yet. could be why they haven't bought anyone, yeah. and you yeah. know they're in that position where you know, they can hold out for as much money as they can get from Fafana, um, which will should allow them to spend some money, um, but you're losing such a key player. You're not going to be able to replace that quality. No, because end of the window, you've got to think a lot of their main targets are going to have gone. And what they'll be, you know, clubs will know that they've got that money, they need a player in and they'll fleece them for more cash. I think a lot of teams, and we'll see this with Chelsea as the window goes on, have set the asking price so high that they assume it's going to put them off. And I don't know if you've ever done this on Football Manager. And then they come back in and actually agree to pay it. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the fact they're, they're going to pay 80 Fana. plus for Fafana, no doubt he's a great player, but it, it, it looks a bit iffy to me. Well, Chelsea also, I think there's almost the perfect storm there of Chelsea need a defender um, unless they need money. So, you know, put those two together and yeah. Leicester are going to get a big fee. Big trouble. And then Villa we've got now right early in the window, they'd already brought in Kamara, they put the money up for Diego Carlos who, I have to say, I'm not very uh, sold on but it was a statement nonetheless. 
and they paid the money for Coutinho. Everyone was saying they were almost pushing their weight around early. We're constantly reminded that they're as rich as uh, a lot of these owners at the top of the league. And yet, Gerard, it's as if everyone did that meme of the guy blinking and kind of opened his eyes up like, that's the record he's got. <laughs> when you're getting compared to Gary Neville's record at Valencia, when you're getting compared to Tim Sherwood's record at Villa, you're in shaky territory. And Gerard is starting to look like a dead man walking. Certainly is. They, uh, yeah, the way they the way they went down against Palace as well was a bad, bad look. Can we talk about Emi Martinez there? Because a guy who has been gone viral a couple of times where he was giving the shit to Bruno before he was going to take a penalty and he's jumping in his face. He had the one in Copper America where he's shouting down at someone, this and that, and saying God knows what. Zahar says something as he goes past him after scoring the penalty and he stands up like he cannot believe anyone's had the nerve <laughs> to even talk to him. The old Draymond. <laughs> a piece of work he is, let me tell you. And then... Gerard looked in the footage of him both at halftime and full-time like there was that clip of him at Old Trafford wasn't it where he's he's swaggering down the touchline and this is like the complete opposite we've gone from him being like nailed on as Klopp's heir apparent to a guy you probably wouldn't have back to coach your 23s He's just lost his well he lost his assistant manager before the season didn't he yeah uh, assistant manager that was very highly Highly rated. They went to QPR. Michael Beasley. Yeah. Um, he could be being found out here. You know, I mean, there is a huge jump from going from the Scottish Premier League, where you know he did do a great job at Rangers, but the players he's got are much better than, and I mean leaps and bounds better than most of the competition. Yeah. To Aston Villa, where he's still got great players, but that that margin of how much better they are than others isn't there, as we said earlier just mentioned it's the most competitive league in the world um so and the difference can be a manager's tactics and are we seeing that now that Gerard is just a bit out of his depth hasn't necessarily paid his dues has had a great assistant manager that may have been you know a big part of his initial success yeah um, remember there was those theories like, with um Klopp and Fergie had it as well uh Klopp had it with Buvak wasn't it and uh was it Pep Linders and then Fergie had it with Carlos Queiroz for a period yeah. where people are convinced that this assistant manager has been the it, secret the whole time. They're actually the brain and then it, they do fuck all and then do, Neville never goes back and goes, oh, maybe I was wrong on that. Yeah, your assistant was linked with our our job, wasn't he, when yeah. Becker left? He does He does talk, okay? Sounds like he fit the role. But uh, you went for someone else's assistant manager instead. <laughs> yeah. the, the other thing, the ironic thing with Villa is to replace... Uh, assistant. They brought in uh, I think his name is Neil Critchley. I think he was at Blackpool, was he? Did a good job as a manager yeah, there. And I thought it was odd that a manager would take an assistant manager's role. I know it's a big club, but I still thought, we always ask, can an assistant manager step up and be a manager? I think the flip side is, once you've been a manager, I think it must be very hard to go back to being an assistant. And if I was being cynical, I would suggest, in his position, do you take that job, knowing if Gerard one day gets binned you probably get the caretaker job and maybe the job. If I was being, a, I know it sounds a bit Machiavellian, but 
we, we do find ourselves in a spot where he probably will end up being the caretaker manager here. Over that, or he was offered just a crazy amount of money, but even then, maybe he just wanted to get out of Blackpool. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I can see it's a, obviously an opportunity, but it just struck me as a little bit weird that you go from a manager's job to that, regardless. Because they've got so many pieces here. Like, you've got McGinn, who's been linked with every top club in the league. Ollie Watkins kind of has everything you need up until the finish which mm. alongside Danny Ings he's supposed to provide that they've really tried making themselves out to be this place that the big players want to go and I think that was part of the reason investing in Coutinho because you want to show that we're as big as we think we are mm. but do you, do you have any faith in Gerard turning this one around? Well just on that Lugo I think Sometimes you get these big players and you get the likes of Coutinho, Diego, Carlos. This is potentially their last major contract. And once they've mm. got that contract, the motivation isn't necessarily there. Sometimes it's better to go and get, find, you know, emerging talent across Europe, bring them in, and they have a bigger desire to earn that money that, you know, these star players are. Yeah. I think you had to have a concern that Coutinho on loan is different to permanent Coutinho, didn't you? 100%. 100%. And, you know, Coutinho is one of those players, he's, he can produce moments of magic, but they're not consistent anymore, are they? They're no, no. Here or there, when you think, oh, we've still got that, that player, he's still great, but, you know, he'd go five-game stretch without doing anything, possibly. Um yeah, I follow a few of their fans on Twitter. I may try and get one on next week, actually, see what they say. But a lot of them are saying, get Coutinho at the starting lineup. Buendia has done more than enough yeah. coming into the team now. Yeah, Buendia so towards the end of last season, very good, very good. And he's a good technical Thanks. player, but puts in more of a shift than Coutinho as well at this point. So that's probably I part of that. We didn't sign him over Erdegaard. You're all in on Buendia. Yeah. And then uh, that little Norwegian... Uh, on the back burner. That's why they make the decisions and we don't. <laughs> we don't. I was about to say, if Arsenal signed every player you've gone all in on, your squad would look <laughs> quite incredible. Yeah, I mean, we'll have Hasbulla at centre-back. <laughs> you see a lot with what Cam said about kind of the, the contracts and playing for certain clubs. You see more and more with players where they say, it's been my dream to play in the Premier League now. Like, there's no hiding, which I prefer. Sergio Gomez did actually get the receipts to that he's always been a City fan, supposedly. Nice. But you do get the... So say a player signs for Brighton now, it's like, this is a great opportunity. I've always dreamt of playing in the Premier League. It's like, all right, at least you're not having anyone on. Feels so, like a safer move. Yeah. If if I offered you all three of these today, Cam, and you had to put your life on one of them, pulling themselves out of the ditch first, if, if that's unanimously, we had to say, right, that's them they've got out of this slump they're in. Who would you be uh, putting your life behind? Leicester, uh, Everton or Villa? I'd be putting it behind Lampard. And part of the reason, and listen, part of the reason that I would do that is the fans. I, I think, think they you might go straight on a suicide watch list. I think, I think the fans have a bigger impact than Leicester <laughs> fans, um, Villa fans. And I... I, I Listen, I'm, for <laughs> as foolish as it is, I feel like we will get a striker in. 
and DCL will be back soon. So Gracias. I think if we keep Gordon as well, you know, Gordon, Jeez. which is going to be difficult, but I think that... Put, you're not fancy selling him for 50 mil what, what if he has to pay for the striker couple games now that we can a couple games that are winnable does gordon not need to be sold to pay for the caliber of striker you're after um i don't think it's a case of a player because i'm not sure how ffp works rich allison has i don't to be think anyone does a certain date no one ever does um, don't worry so in terms of that I don't know because we still haven't really spent the Rich Allison money. Because if you look at the Onana deal, that was a small fee up front paid over a number yeah. of years. So it depends if that's the case that we're in now, where we need to go and do a similar structure um, to the deal, or if we can get someone in loan on loan. You know, if we get Broger in and we have Broger and DCL until the end of the season, we'd be very happy yeah. with that. Um, and if you look at the games, I mean, we lost one 0 to Chelsea. Um, it's not great, but you know, not good when you're losing to Villa, the Villa game, yeah, we lost, but there were chances towards the end. Um, and I, if you look at the Villa and the Forest game, if we have a striker, we take something from well, we took something from the Forest. If we have a striker, we take three points from Forest and we get a result at Villa, if you ask me. In terms of the striker you're after, so it looks now that Neil Mope is going to go to Fulham for, for 15 million. Are you yeah. expecting better than that? I don't think he's the type of striker. Um, so I think say say you I had think, to rate him out of ten. I mean, got, no, but I'm you're... thinking just so you, to kind of to help on that. Um, if you look at DCL, really powerful in the air, great at heading. I think what Lampard's probably going to want is someone similar to that, very physical, um, so that yeah. he can keep a consistent style of play. Because you know DCL is going to be injured for half the season, <laughs> at least based on based on previous. So I would say we I would want someone. It depends. It really depends on, you know, when's DCL going to be back? How much faith do they have in keeping him fit? If it's if that's strong, then, you know, we someone at Mopé's level, that will do. If it's not, if they don't believe that, then we need to go and get someone better. I, I was worried for you when Frank said he wasn't looking for good players. He was looking for good characters. <laughs> He's a character man. He's a man manager. <laughs> No, I was, I'm shocked tactic, you didn't go in for Ben Me. Um, but look, maybe we get Martin Terrier from uh, from France. Um, who knows? There's uh, there's a lot of names being linked every other yep. day. There's uh, a name being linked with the club. So it's an interesting time to be in Everton because the exciting thing is we're linked with players all the time. The not so exciting <laughs> thing is we're not signing any of them. Um, so, <laughs> You've got to think they want to come and play with Onana as well. One of the best prospects most, in all of Europe. Am I doing a disservice by saying Europe? We're saying the world. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, who knows? You know, we'll see. All right, TK, um, which of these do you think is in the most trouble and which which do you think we'll be looking back at this segment in six months' time and saying, what are we worried about? Well, Leicester are in the most trouble, for sure. Um so I've almost put them out of it because they're they're in huge trouble. They're, they're, they don't seem to be doing anything to rectify it, whereas Villa and Everton do at least appear to be trying to. Um, I mean, Everton have probably got the easiest way out of their situation, only in that I think they fully expected to be hit. From everything Cam's just said, he's basically said he's managing expectations. And as a result, Lampard doesn't seem to have as much pressure on him because I think from the jump, Everton fans expected themselves to be here, where... 
Villa and Leicester, certainly higher up, and I think amongst the fan base, maybe thought they'd be doing more. And so as a result, they look like they're underperforming greater. And do I think Gerard's going to be able to pull them out of that? Is it not as simple as though if they just sack Gerard, new manager comes in, just get them straight out of it? Yeah, they they've got the best raw ingredients to get out of the out of trouble. I would say um, it does look obviously there were more than whispers about the camp not being too happy going into the season. Obviously, and yeah. then that sort of reared its head with the Ming situation with Villa. So if they aren't happy with Gerard, they're obviously going to down tools until they do get him out. Uh, think- I would back this team though to pick up the odd result, which maybe might prolong his managerial sort of time there. Where yeah, got a tough I think games coming up though. Yeah, West Ham, I was looking City, Liverpool, is it? Or- Arsenal. Yeah, I mean Arsenal. like West Ham next. It's not impossible that they can beat West Ham next, and then no. that buys him another week or two. But like then if they get pumped by Arsenal and City, etc. I said, um, Leicester and Villa have got each other fairly soon, haven't they? So that's. Because it's going to be a dire game, but it could be big for a manager. I was going to ask you if they're the only one of the three that has a real appetite to sack the manager. Like, I don't think Leicester are going to ditch Brendan. I think they're going to stick with Brendan until he he says, Hmm. I'm doing this for the both of us. And I think from what Cam said, and at least uh, from the feeling I get, Lampard doesn't get too much blame for the situation Everton are in, and he will tell you in every single interview, look, it's not this club's in a bad way when I came in. <laughs> yeah, you know, just on that on Lampard, that you got, we have sold arguably the best player and not placed him. So how can that, you know? Yeah, that is ridiculous. Lampard didn't was in the FFP position that we were in either. I... He, did take, he did take you from six points off the drop to what, a couple of points off the drop pretty <laughs> quick though. Well, he's cutting his teeth in the managerial. <laughs> But you kept and us I, up, which is the main And I'm thing. a Frank Stan. Don't forget that. <laughs> mm. Lampard over Gerard all day. Um, if we move on then, so at the other end of the table, both Liverpool and Man City have already dropped points this season after it being a complete shock whenever this happened throughout the course of last season. What's changed? I mean, Man City yesterday for about 60 minutes look just completely unable to cope with I don't want to downplay it but pretty straightforward pace and power from Newcastle there was nothing particularly complex to what they were doing and yet they found themselves having to claw their way out of a 3-1 deficit and then Liverpool yet to find the same synergy up top Klopp having to answer questions about his midfield and that squad depth which we were assured uh, there was no issue with (laughs) Does it feel different already this season, TK? Because I've got to think, maybe before you saw City yesterday, you can almost write off the league after not winning two games in a row. Yeah, and certainly if you don't beat United tonight, I think you probably would have been saying it's probably already too much to do, which is simultaneously depressing and I guess very impressive for what City have done. Uh, I would say from our angle, it's pretty easy to see what's changed. Obviously, getting rid of money. Um Nunes coming in is a different type of player. It's a pretty big piece to incorporate. And then he's then got himself sent off for yeah. committing assault in a game. So uh, pretty easy to see what's going on there. Um, 
So, yeah, obviously, I didn't see them throwing in a performance like they did against Newcastle. It was, it was a bit of a weird game anyway. Uh, but to kind of go back on it, I mean, Newcastle had some had more chances. Amron obviously could have scored more. Um, and they could have been it, but then City missed some good chances as well. So we could be saying, oh, how dominant are City that they can go down like that to Newcastle but still get a win. So I wouldn't be too panicked about that. I mean, they lost to Spurs on the opening game of last year, didn't they? So yeah, I, I don't know that it's changed that much on their end. Uh, we'll see over the next few games, but they tend to, whenever they have um, a bad result, they tend to come back with a vengeance. So I'm assume they will. I can see Liverpool's teething issues, if I call them that, carried on for a little bit. But I would imagine they'll probably both get back to business pretty quickly. Yeah, that seems fair. This, the City game, for one, I think Newcastle, as we found out last season, once they get St. James's Park rocking, it is a very tough place to go. That and Ellen Road in the Chelsea game were both... Pumping, yeah, yeah, both. You like said, they're going to be hard games to play. A question unrelated to the initial one is the Trippier red card, which has been a real talking point this weekend. And I seem to be in the minority here. Well, I think the red card should have stood. You are a little bit soft, though, aren't you? Well, it's not even we, that. We I, just I want think... consistency, Luke. Look at Everton, Exa- Newcastle last season. Yeah, Alan. Yeah, uh, I think that. It's always been pretty clear that if you jump looking like you're out of control with your studs in the air and you make contact yeah. above the knee, is that is that not... His one wasn't studs in, into the knee, though, was it? But his, his boot's up, so that's usually he, deemed as being out of control. Yeah, once I saw... Because initially I saw just a still of it and it looked like the studs were on, so I was like, okay, well, what are people complaining about? And I looked at it closer, I was like, oh, yeah, the studs don't come near him. He's not endangering him. He hasn't like landed on a planted leg or anything. I, I don't it know. feels I, like a weird one to overturn, do you not think? I, I certainly agree with that. I'm amazed they overturned it. I didn't think they would do that at all. And I think that's kind of a bad precedent to set anyway. If you're doing this whole thing of the ref on the pitch is the guy and we're just here to help him, I think that's one where you can't be getting involved. Um, but I don't think he should have given the red. I think I was surprised that he did. And uh, I think probably in the end, the right decision was made. But uh, I don't think it's a robbery that if he got sent off. But I, I do think, I said to, in the chat earlier, we're playing into the hands of the we've gone soft brigade if we do start giving reds for it. Because well, we did see some, like, there could have been, what, two red cards in the Fulham-Brentford game? Yeah, There's for the sure. Norgard one and then uh, Ben Mee just gets clattered, like, to his head in the air. Mine wasn't so much that it wasn't a soft challenge. And I do think there is a certain level of cynicism, which has almost become part of the English game. And so if you start punishing that, then it's going to be a very slippery slope. It just felt strange to me, particularly the overturning of it more than... I did also think some of the the arguments being made, I will say, by sometimes by Newcastle fans, but amongst others, that basically this was a tactical foul. And therefore, it can't be a red because City do tactical fouls all the time. But if City were tackling at knee height all the time, then I think they would be picking up reds. But they're, they're doing sort of little niggly little tactical fouls, which we know what they're doing. But we can't. The ref can't go around just red card. And so I, I think there's at least an argument for the Trippier one being a red. Whilst I don't think it is, I think comparing it to sort of like someone tapping the ankles when they're on a counter attack is not quite the same thing. 
well, that's that's where the, the Allen one was actually the first one that I thought about. And that one, Cam will probably be able to tell me. I'm pretty sure Everton even went as far as to appeal the red card after VAR had looked at it and given a red card. And uh, it was Luke, still upheld. This this plays into the hands of the conspiracy theorists that think, you know, what do the FA want from the league? Do they want a title race? Seems to me like they do if they're uh, overturning that one. Did they want Everton to go down? Seems Hang to on, because... Would it not have been better for the title race if Newcastle have a man sent off and then... Actually, no, sorry. Other way around. Yeah, yeah okay. Wanted, okay. Wanted, yes, uh, yeah, sorry. My result. apologies. Um, yeah. But it's, it's all subjective, isn't it, at the end of the day? It depends on the referee that you get on that day um, and whoever's in the VAR booth uh, on that day. One of the ways to kind of, I guess, the best way, in my opinion, to do it would be to keep... Because at the moment, am I right in thinking you've got VAR, you've got referees, the refs do both, don't they? Some do go on the pitch, some do the VAR. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they interchange. So one week you could be in VAR, one week you could be refing on the pitch. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, I'm good for for VAR. I would have VAR refs on the pitch refs and try to keep it like that. So there's at least a bit of, I don't know, consistency in that area. Um, but it's again it's a subjective sport so if um but as soon as the referee is sent to the monitor we all know they may as well the var should just have the authority to to overturn that because we know the referee is going to overturn it everybody knew you know it wasn't like a doubt in anyone's mind that he's going to come back and keep the red card the only one they actually didn't do that with was uh arsenal game where saka had a penalty and he went over and said no i'm sticking with my decision yeah and and fair play to the refs that do that but it's very few and far between Mm. so are we is it just wasting more time by uh sending the referee over to the to the monitor because the percentage that when they actually you know overturn something is what 90 percent probably if not yeah so what you're saying just just say it in his ear and the ref just do it on the spot because it's clearly not his decision anyway they do that in rugby yeah, okay. Mm. Does this mean I should expect some worse officiating at the Arsenal game if we are trying to ensure there's a title race? Arsenal won't be. Still Does the league need us to drop point? points? <laughs> the only way we can get Arsenal dropping points is some <laughs> officials. Um, I think we'll have more to say on this after Liverpool play uh, this evening either way, so I'll speak a bit more on that next week but we did have two huge results and we'll start with the positive news as leon edwards shocked the world and became the ufc welterweight champion only the second ever champion from the uk after michael bisping and what a way to do it uh the fight all but over aside what you have a takedown a rear naked choke attempt in the first round leon edwards is losing pretty handily to kamara usman and then Less than a minute left. Usman's ready to get on the mic, celebrate his 16th straight UFC fight, UFC title win. Anderson Silva's record, it looks like another dominant performance. We're going to hear that he's the pound for pound, best fighter in the world. And then at the four minute four mark, Leon Edwards fakes with the right hand, left high kick, and Usman is unconscious on impact. Just incredible. Headshot dead. Yeah, the, the, what you said about 
Usman getting on the mic, that is enough reason to celebrate, if nothing else. We were spared <laughs> that. Thank fuck. We need that. <laughs> pound for pound, headshot bang on a t-shirt, dead. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good for me. Best, best comeback win of all time. Um, I mean, it's certainly... I saw a breakdown of this. Anderson Silva against Chael Sonnen when he submitted him. Um, so, yeah, if you do it as a come-behind knockout, then it becomes a lot clearer. But, uh, but I think like we've got to also putting it into the position. You know, this is... It's up against... As was Sonnen, but, I mean, up against... Um, Pound for pound, number one. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is the last minute of the the fight. The fight's lost. Um, his everything that went with it, like his the way his corner were telling him. And the, I don't know if you've seen the video where Sahudo's uh, yes talking yeah. to Usman's, but you so actually, good. If you hear, you actually hear his corner say, um, uh, high head kick. kick, yeah, uh, head kick, yeah. Um, just Easy money, it, Ali. It's just like unbelievable. Um, but probably that to me might be the best moment in UFC I, obviously we're all in the moment so you say these things but it could be the best moment in UFC history just like as a fan watching it, oh, it out of nowhere wasn't it it was absolute Randy Orton RKO <laughs> I, I thought <laughs> me and TK had woken uh, my house up after it went in just one of them where I cringe at people when you see them ringside and they're like throwing hands or like flexing their chest or whatever <laughs> after Joe someone gets knocked out like and week. I'm fully like I was still up two hours later at quarter to eight. Just, just what, just like, just feeling like I just wanted to. I don't even know, jump up and down. Just like, I, I mean, just line someone up just to kick them in the head and just get that kind of feeling that Leon Edwards has just had. The best the head I kick. Got out of this. <laughs> I don't think you have to worry about my uh, leg getting that high. To be fair, it might need a, a little kid friend. It, it's the greatest head kick knockout we've ever seen yeah. the, like, um, it's gone like outside of front kick. Yeah, it's, it's gone outside of just like a UFC fan like yeah. I've, I've just had Keenan message me saying just seeing that UFC knockout like at work people are mentioning it that are very it squeamish is, and don't want to see anything to do with the UFC yeah. UFC are that though now aren't they you know 10 years ago the, the things any knockout wasn't really going viral on Twitter um but yeah, it has kind of. It's since they got with ESPN and Sports Center can uh, wheel it up. Yeah, but when you, I mean, to put it in perspective, I mean, Usman, what is as dominant, from not as dominant in his fights as Khabib, but had, you know, a better resume than Khabib, pound for pound number one, hadn't lost in the UFC. And Dana just, called him uh, the GOAT. Dana called him the welterweight you, GOAT. There, there was an argument for that. Um, I mean, unbelievable. Um, and the thing, it was such an interesting fight, wasn't it? Because you, you, the first round when Leon took Usman down, him down, had him in mount, took his back, and you're thinking, okay, the, could be onto something here because he had really good takedown defense as well in that round. Yeah. And then as the fight progressed, you could actually just see he wasn't, he almost looked scared of getting knocked out, I feel, because he wasn't letting his hands go. He was playing, he's a bit of a shell of himself. He got caught a couple of shells, but he wasn't hurt, but you could tell. Okay, yeah, he didn't want to. I think that and you'd seen the Usman knockout of Masvidal, mm, and then you had yeah. Diaz rocking Edwards in their last fight. And I was always just kind of thinking like Usman's going to catch him at some point. Um, but even and then he pretty much 
as they were saying, he'd accepted what was his fate, and then um, yeah, unbelievable. Even with um, the commentary, as you said, leading up to that, it's perfect that you got John Anik just before split second. Any points out, he says, uh, but that is not the cloth from which he is cut. And then bang, <laughs> and you said about Leon Edwards and he was looking just more and more dejected as it went on. I don't know about you watching it, but you almost get that feeling in that feeling in where you're up against a wrestler, uh, at least a person that you're cheering on. And you get this moment at the start of every round where they're on the feet and you start to think, okay, maybe they can do something different, throw the hands while you have this moment. And then with each time they get taken down, it's just like a, a gut punch on and on. And you almost just want the fight to end at that point because you don't want to see your guy just getting mauled and grounded out, just looking helpless on the floor. And then, he got back up. and Khabib always did that, didn't they? They basically just drown you over the rounds. You're like, oh, fuck, it's round five. And we just can't, we don't have an answer. Khabib Barboza one is one of the worst ways. Like, just stop this. Like, we don't need to see this anymore. I don't know if either of you have seen that Rocky edit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've seen that, TK? No. It's right from his first... uh, corner speech at the end of round one and you've got the build up uh, dun, 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 and then right as he's about to fire the head kick it kicks in oh, and then nice. you've got the Rocky theme going and you've got the like subtitles on screen with his speech <laughs> everything about it it is like styled as if it is from a movie just the way that came together and the crowd knew they'd seen something special with the reaction Edwards didn't know what he wanted to do. He runs at first, then he does the Billy strut, <laughs> and then his brother's like the speed at which his brother gets in the cage is maybe the most impressive thing of the night. It's rare for a challenger to finish a champion in the final round while being down on the cards. You can look back. We actually had a recent example with um, Yuri against uh, Glover, but that was more of a back and forth fight. Misha Tate did it in 2016 against Holly Holm. And you've got, as Cam pointed out, the Chel Sonnen one against Anderson Silver, uh, Anderson Silver against Chel Sonnen, um, but that wasn't a knockout. Yeah, it was. It was perfect. It was a pretty lackluster card, I thought, up until Rockhold and uh, Costa. Costa. I think it, every fight was a decision up until that point, almost. That was a decision. Yeah, sorry, there was. The only stoppage, I think, was the women's fight, which even then it was like, why is this on the main card? <laughs> one on a four-fight losing streak, one on a three-fight losing streak. I, I do love that. And it, it was, only people kind of rooting for Leon were UK uh, fans. I don't think it was too well-known in No, it, America. even I mean, then. The people that know the sport, you know, a lot of them thought good challenger Usman's going to win. But now you've just seen the love kind of pour out on social media for which he's kind of been coupled into a superstar um and you know i i don't think they will do it in the uk but if they did usman edwards dana seems pretty set on that uh, he does this in the moment though doesn't he he's he's already backtracked on wembley but but, i mean probably was you you do a uk card and you have edwards aspinall darren till paddy pimlet molly mccann like yeah off the head isn't it i think it's worse um it this can happen because usman isn't a pay-per-view star like this isn't knocking out mcgregor and it's like well that's never going to happen outside of vegas he seems pretty set on doing this and if you think bisping they did it it may be where they do the same again and they do it in the early hours 
and Dana's just heard all these stories about us being drunkards and he's like, well, we'll do it in the early hours. They'll all be off their heads. It'll be brilliant. I think the rematch is going to be massive pay-per-view-wise, though. Not McGregor numbers, but it's going to be... Yeah. I'd say some of the things I saw attending that Bisping fight in the UK where it was on, where the main cards, where the, the first prelim was at midnight. It was, as expected, people just went on a night out first and then just came back in and then they had... Did you say like, someone just stood there and pissed themselves? Yeah, yeah, that was someone that you know, actually. They just stood and pissed themselves there in their seat. It was Luke. It wasn't me. I, I, I went to the Super League, Super League final uh, earlier in the night and then I had to queue, I think, an hour and a half for like a TGI's. Everywhere was just mashed, mental, just with people trying to find something to do before this. And yeah, more more sniffer dogs than you've ever seen in your life. And it felt like, probably don't put this on in the early hours if you don't want several thousand Mancunians chads to their eyeballs trying to get in and stay up because it was a weird one. Where you'd usually have all the spirits lined out it was just all different monsters behind the bar. <laughs> all warm, by the way. It was oh, disgusting. God. But yeah, it, it was a very, very weird experience. But as you said about the love that he's been getting, before the fact, there were a lot of people that didn't want to do this just because he was from Birmingham. <laughs> and people, I won't name names, wanted to pass on the back because they were cheering someone. He is from Birmingham, but I'll cheer him on. I remember if you go back to when Till fought Wonderboy, the press conference is largely dominated by Till and Leon Edwards bickering. Yeah. And people are just shitting on Leon Edwards for thinking that he's on Till's level. And the That's gist of one. what Leon Edwards is saying essentially is that, but fair play to you, but I feel like it should be me in your position. And he's carried on grinding away. Who he, he smashed uh, Gunn and Nelson on that card before Wonderboy and Till stunk the place out. And he's just been on a rampage since. What the closest fight he's had up until this point is Nate Diaz having a good 30 seconds and Bilal clinging on to being poked in the eye. But he did get a free piece in the soda. And I do hope they don't run that back. I saw. Masvidal's uh, managers, who I can't stand anyway, already tweeting out, we accept. Well, you may well accept, but <laughs> no get fucked. Well, the only way that happens is if you get some, it's going to be Edwards Usman, Usman gets an injury, then they would put Masvidal in. You, you look back to the when Bisping fought uh, Henderson, that was Rock, um, Yoel wasn't ready, Whitaker couldn't fight, and they didn't want to give it to Weidman or Rockhold in a rematch because why would you? And so Dan Henderson, it was like, okay, this makes perfect sense. And they almost went the boxing way of let's take it to this guy's hometown and give him what's supposed to be an easy defense. This time around, what, you're going through like three people before you get to Masvidal? Yeah, but hadn't Henderson, how did Henderson get on in the UFC before he got that shot? Henderson just, what, literally right before the shot? Yeah, how was he, he doing? Just, he just elbowed the life out of someone. And Masvidal's, you know, last last known, he got beat by Covington. Yeah, this is this what I mean. They're never doing Masvidal next because there's too many guys yeah. that you can take. The Henderson one was like, uh, yeah, okay, well, yeah. this one Who makes more sense. Who, who's ahead? So Usman, Hamzat. 
Colby still? Is, 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 is Colby in there? There's enough to be ahead of him because he beat Masvidal. Exactly. And Edwards has spoken about running it with Masvidal. So he, he tried might and Masvidal get, pulled get, out though. He might get lucky um, because he'll Masvidal. do that as the easiest night's work of the people you've mentioned, won't it? And he'll yeah. get the most, he'll get ironically the most views for the easiest fight. So Masvidal effectively fucked it when um, he pulled out right before this one. And that's why they said, okay, we'll give Leon the title shot because Masvidal pulled out. And what if Nate Diaz beats hands up? If Nate, then he's going off into the sunset at an even bigger start than he was what, beforehand. What, what if Hamzat wins? I, I actually, I actually won't be shocked if Hamzat's next. And I said this to TK immediately after the fight. It depends really when they can get this UK card and how soon. I think Usman is the type who will force himself to come back early if that's an option. Yeah, but. Dana, yeah, may, Dana may think, he'll probably look at the optics and the numbers and say, is it worth us taking an extra step and building this? Is this an easier chance for Hamzat to try and get the belt? Because they clearly thought he could beat Leon and that's why they matched him up with him straight off COVID. It depends how Hamzat does against Nate Diaz, though, doesn't it? You know, if, yeah. if, if, he, if he looks like he did against Burns, for example, where it's, it's an exciting fight, but, you know, they're starting to be some question marks yeah um, I don't think you do it um, but if he goes in and absolutely starches him then I yeah I can, I can see it I do think they'll do the rematch uh, it's it's easy to say that a fighter doesn't fight for money but Edwards I do genuinely think is the type of character where he would rather say fuck him to Masvidal and not want to give him the cash than actually do the fight I don't think he's scared of the fight but I think he'd get just as much satisfaction from saying See how you, I don't need you. But money we'll see how we go. <laughs> Pardon? Money's just about to come, though, isn't Is it? That, so, I, I think see. he should have been on every breakfast show this morning, and much like with Bisping, there doesn't seem to be much interest. So quite disappointing when we think UFC is maybe bigger than it is, uh, but there's still a lot of people that turn their nose up at it. Just finally then, before, uh, as I said, the match of matches coming up, Alexander Usyk defeated Anthony Joshua for the second time, this time by a split decision. TK, to go to you first, what were your general thoughts on the fight? I thought it was a really good fight, which has apparently placed me in the minority. A lot of people, I think, the general reaction seems to be, I don't know whether people just were hoping that Joshua was going to win so much that they're deflated or what. But I thought, at the very least, we got a good, technical fight that I thought you were on edge thinking this could turn any point for either of them. Um, but Usyk's more skilled and basically showed that. I thought he was probably a little bit closer than some people had, but nowhere near as close as the one judge had, which is mental. Um, I thought Joshua was better, but Usyk's just that little bit better than him. So I think some of the reaction's been a bit over the top from a lot of people. So the ninth round is where AJ appears to hurt Usyk. Hmm. And then the tenth round, Usyk comes out and wins it. Cam, is this the point at which the fight ultimately just got away from Joshua completely? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I said in in the chat when that happened, people thought a few people said Usyk's fucked, and I said no, Joshua's fucked. He's, he, I knew as soon as he kind of had that, 
expanded that energy and you just knew he couldn't carry on um must be gutting as well it was it was it was a better got form for it as well doesn't he it was a better effort from joshua but it wasn't enough and i don't think he came out as i i thought he would be a bit more aggressive obviously it needs to be educated aggression but you never saw him put his weight on Usyk, and testament to Usyk didn't let him do I that. He did at he, certain points. I just didn't really see him do that enough. I mean, if, if Fury's fighting Usyk, he does that a ridiculous yeah. amount. You know, if... um, so it was disappointing in that regard. Better effort from him, and but yeah, just not good enough. But maybe we should be giving Usyk more credit than downplaying Joshua's ability, perhaps. There's something in it, though, in the moments in where you see fighters basically pushing down and the energy uh, to try and drain the other fighters' energy is ultimately because you believe your gas tank is superior and you're prepared to use some of yours to drain theirs. For AJ, adding more of those tactics into his game plan may have felt like an unnecessary usage of energy for him if it's something that he's worried about. And I thought he did the best that he could of that, but it's harder to pin Usyk down than than you'd think. It's not as simple as just grabbing oh, hold of him. Very light on his feet. Um, he wriggled every time he tried to pin him on the ropes, apart from the few times we've mentioned, he was straight out of there. Yeah, Joshua is 18 quite, stone. He's heavy. He's, We're going to get onto that in a second. It's hard. It's hard, man. <laughs> 18 stone. Um, <laughs> uh, what was that with Joshua's corner, though? I thought the whole thing was... The last fight, he got rid of the corner partly because they were telling him yeah, bad advice telling him he was winning. And the same thing happened again. Well, I think there's there's a medium because I'm, I've am i probably scored it more favourably to Joshua than 90% of this, the cards I've seen. I had it Usyk winning by two points. And I do think there's something to that that people don't want to be called a casual by scoring rounds against Usyk, which I've seen a lot of. And people just don't like Joshua. It's, it's part of it. I'm I, I, a huge I, fan myself. I, like, I don't mind Joshua. Um, I'm not a huge advocate for Usyk, but I, I could. there was just more activity. And there wasn't a huge amount more, but there was just more activity from Usyk. But I, see, I see the people that complain that about certain styles of fighting and it's boring and there's not enough to it. And then AJ's been far more aggressive. And in some rounds, I saw them because I thought AJ's aggression and the shots that he did land were more telling than the pitter-patter shots that Usyk was landing. I can see why you could score it the other way, but I didn't think it was as outrageous to have. Uh, there's some people saying that even the cards in Usyk's favor were too close, which I didn't see it that way at all. Um, but the right man won, and we get to the end of the fight. Actually, first of all, TK, what's this AJ's best performance, as I've seen being debated today? I, I see what people are trying to do. Um, no, no, it's not. Um, but I, what I will say, assuming is he's carrying on, then I think this is a good footing to go from, because I think he was much improved from the first time, and I think this style, the way he put it on him, in terms of, well, I was trying to put it on him, it's going to work against almost everybody else yeah. he's going to come up against. So, so that's at least... the same trainers. I, I would. I would yeah. probably... I don't really know how feasible it is that you can keep Robert Garcia, because I'm assuming he's going to be working back with his fighters in the States. So Joshua would probably have to go over there if he was going to. Um, so I don't know how feasible that is, but I would I would run it with them because 
the, at least he was on the front foot and trying to be aggressive against most people. He's going to demolish it. So this is the first time in AJ's career that he's lost two fights in a row. And ultimately, an outburst at the end that could do more harm than the loss in his squeaky clean image, his sponsorship portfolio that he's got, this reputation. He grabs the world title belts, he chucks them out of the ring and then returns to grab the microphone and address the crowd. He says, I'm not a 12-round fighter, I'm a new breed of heavyweight. Mike Tyson, Sonny Liston, Jack Dempsey, you don't throw combinations like Rocky Marciano. I'm 18 stone, I'm fucking heavy, it's hard work. This guy here is a phenomenal talent. We're going to cheer for him three times and then we have oh, hit Murray. That was a was bad moment. The worst night. <laughs> that was tough. Yeah, well, this is... Probably don't stick a microphone in front of that, someone when they've just been punched in the head. should have taken that microphone off or yeah. something, but... I'm not sure anyone was taking the microphone off work. him in that moment. Um, that guy was determined. I think at the very least you can have words like, look, are you sure you want to do this, mate? Are you sure well, you yourself get the coverage up? to say... Hearn, what, Hearn gets himself in the ring enough. It's probably on him to do it. At least don't give Sky the clicks. <laughs> That's one of the things he was worried about all week. It just um, showed how no one in that group can stand up to him at all. No. Has no authority over him at all. Um, which I was always reluctant. We, we don't really don't know. We don't know what goes on his team, but it was sort of spelled out in front of us, wasn't it? So AJ was 244 and a half pounds, 23 pounds heavier than and three inches taller. Is it not he was younger, stronger, bigger, and that all just counted for nothing? And what we saw was a guy that's not been able to show his true face in years with the, the doubly on top of that being punched in the head for 36 minutes and just letting it all fall out. It's like if you gave him eight pints and then put a microphone in front of him, it's, prob- it's probably not going to yeah. be as embarrassing. It's also a case of, he. I think he knew uh, this could be the end, you know, like mentally, he'd just been, would have been mentally exhausted through fighting a boxer like Usyk for 12 rounds. Added on to that, you've yeah. been punched in the head quite a fair bit and that you've lost the fight and that now, where do I go from here? I think yeah. it all just got too much. And in the time, he was probably thinking, I'm making my, I'm giving the reasons why I've lost and I'm not looking as bad, but obviously it looked uh, awful. Um, and these people all get themselves into a position where they're like, utterly convinced they're going to win. Like, there's nothing you could tell them going in that they no. won't win. Shall so I? the moment you don't win, it must be like such a shock to the system. Throw in a healthy amount of concussion and I think you probably end up with what you get. We said, okay, it was like it clicked halfway through his speech. Like, what am I doing here? Because then he and starts going, look, praise this guy. he went to the hip, hip, hooray, which is always yeah, Yeah, concept. Christ. He, I don't know what's going on in Ukraine, but I know it's not good. Yeah, <laughs> it's not was... nice. Not nice. <laughs> See, that that was the thing. Is like, if you're going to rant, just go fully in on the rant. But he's just like PR, just PR savvy enough that he goes, right, I've got to save myself a bit here. And yeah. that's probably where Joshua is as a whole, though. Kind of confused whereby... He kind of wants to be the big man, but also wants to be the squeaky clean. It's kind of like he's gone around the in-law's house and he, he thinks, needs, he needs I'm a bad guy, but I've also on my best behaviour. So he's like, what, what can I do? Go full oh. Roman Reigns. Go heel. <laughs> Time to go heel, Josh. Be the villain. Well, <laughs> I'm like sure that. we're going to see more of a fallout across the next week. But thank you again. 
for listening to another edition of Spitballing Pod. We should uh, this week we've got Casino against Boys in the Hood on Movie Madness. Hopefully a three MP next Monday. Next Thursday we will have a podcast out during dead right at the end of deadline day to summarise everything that's happened. Cam should hopefully be joining us again. Thanks for joining us tonight, Cam. Adios.